One of the greatest psalms, in my view, is Psalm 139. It describes God's wonderful hand of leading and guiding, God's handiwork in making us. So we turn to Psalm 139, the wonderful hand of God. Begin reading at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. And then jump down to verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given to us by the inspiration of your Spirit. Guide us, Lord, into your truth, and show us your wonderful hand of leading and guiding and providing for us today. For we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Have you ever considered how amazing our hands are? <laughs> um, really quite fascinating. Each hand contains 29 major bones, 29 major joints, and at least 123 named ligaments. 34 muscles move the fingers and thumb, 17 in the palm of our hand, and 18 in the forearm. Each hand contains 49, or 48 named nerves, 30 named arteries, as well as many branches of arteries. Did you know that you cannot get a tan on the palm of your hand or the underside of your fingers? And then our fingerprints are a completely, 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 completely a unique DNA imprint that's different from every other single human being. No two human beings in the world have the same fingerprints. 
And think of how strong our fingers are. Many of you can literally hang by your fingers. Huh? Think of that. On a pull-up thing, just hanging there. I said many of you, probably not all of you, but many of you could do that. Hands are really an amazing thing when you think of, 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 of how they work. What a marvelous miracle of God. But even more amazing than our hand is God's hand. And the psalm that we focus on this morning makes that so clear to us because David reminds us that God leads us by his hand. Did you, did you notice those references? Verse 5, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Verse 10, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. So if you think our hands are amazing, think of the hand of God. As he leads us, as he guides us, as he directs us, as he provides for us. We're not left to our own human wisdom as we journey through life. The omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God is seen in this psalm. And he is the one that leads us. Notice, first of all, that God leads us because he knows us. In the first six verses of this psalm, David describes God's amazing knowledge. And consider what God knows about us. God knows our actions. That's the emphasis of the first three verses. You've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. Verse 3, you scrutinize my path and my lying down. And you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. In other words, there isn't anything that we do that God doesn't know about. Whether we are sitting or standing, whether we are sleeping or walking, God is fully aware of it. I'm reminded of Hebrews 4.13, it says, There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. So all the things that we might be able to successfully hide from others, maybe those things as children we hid from our parents. <laughs> you never did that, did you? As we got older and told our parents some of the things that we did, they said, what? You did what? <laughs> we might have hidden them from them, but guess who saw? The Lord saw all those things that we, we did. So God knows our actions. He knows our words. Verse 4, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Have you ever spoken a word under your breath because you were upset with someone and you thought that you were the only one that heard that word? Maybe you're asked to take the garbage out and you're mumbling on your breath, i got to do this again. And you think no one hears you, hears you, but the Lord knows that as well. He hears those words and He even knows our thoughts. Verse 2 says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. I used to think that it would be great to know what someone was thinking. Do you know what? I've changed my mind. <laughs> I'm not sure I really want to know what you're thinking right now. Because you might be thinking something about me and I might not want to know that. Or you might be thinking something about someone else and I really don't want to know that. That would be too much information. <laughs> TMI, right? But God knows our thoughts. And He knows which thoughts are going to lead to words. 
and which thoughts are going to lead to actions because he knows everything. Isn't that amazing? So when we think about what it means that God knows everything about us, I suppose we could say that's kind of a scary thought, and, and rightfully so. And if we lived in light of the fact that we knew every moment of every day that God knows everything about us, maybe there would be some things that we would say, you know what, I think I need to change this, I need to change that, because God sees that. But I'm not sure that this is David's purpose here in highlighting the knowledge of God. That is certainly true that we ought to live differently because we know that God knows about us. But notice what he says in verse 5. He says, You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. The word translated enclosed here, you have enclosed me behind and before, carries the idea of surrounding something. And it is most often translated elsewhere in the Old Testament with the word besiege. If you have the ESV or the NIV, it says you hem me in. (laughs) Interesting, you hem me in. So it seems to picture God's hand upon us in a protective way or a restraining way. Because God knows everything about us. He knows what is best for us. He puts his hand upon us to protect us and maybe even to restrain us, to keep us from doing something that wouldn't be good for us. God hems us in for our own good. Do you need that sometimes? I do. Boy, there's times when I'm thinking of saying something or doing something or responding to some situation in a way that just gets it off my chest. (laughs) And the Lord hems me in and says, you know what? Wait, don't don't do that. Chuck Swindoll says the idea is that God has us in inescapable situations and there steadies us, directs us restrains us, keeps us from running and escaping from that situation. This explains why His hand is upon us. And I am thankful for that. I am thankful that there are times that God hems me in. Hems me in, huh? David was thankful for that. In fact, he goes on to say that in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. And I can't help but think of David's experience with Nabal and Abigail. Remember that story back in 1 Samuel chapter 25? Nabal was this fool. He was just a a fool. David had protected his men out in the wilderness, and and they were traveling, and, and David asked for some food, and Nabal says, Who is David? Who is this guy? I'm not going to give him anything. And David then, his response to that was to basically say, I'm going to wipe out his whole family. I'm going to kill every man in the family. Okay? Would you say he needed to be hemmed in? And God did that because the wife of Nabal, her name was Abigail, and she came to David and she told him this, Verse 26 of 1 Samuel 25, he says, she said, Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, 
And as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. And she basically apologized for her husband and said, he was not right in this. But she says, the Lord has restrained you from taking vengeance. And what is very interesting then is to notice David's response. In verse 32, Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. He saw this as the hand of God. He was wanting to respond in a way that was not godly. And God hemmed him in. God sent Abigail to tell him, David, you do not want to do this. And he thanked God for that because he saw this as the hand of God. You hem me in behind and before and you've laid your hand upon me. There are those times when we need to be hemmed in. And God did that for David. And David thanked him. Lord, you know me. You know my tendencies. You know my struggles. You know the ways that I would like to respond. But you came and you restrained me. You protected me. And I am very grateful for how God does that in our lives. So God leads us because He knows us. The second thing this psalm emphasizes is that God leads us because He is with us. Since God knows everything about us, some might foolishly suggest that it would be better if we just tried to hide from God. Get away from Him so He can't hear what we say. Or He can't See what we are doing. But that's a foolish thought, isn't it? That'll never happen. And David emphasizes that there's no escape from the Lord. Verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be like night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Now, I don't believe that David wants to get away from God. I don't think that's the point here at all. That, boy, if I could just get away from you, then you wouldn't know everything about me. That is not what he's saying. He is thinking about what would happen if, if he tried. He is saying that he could never get away from God because God is omnipresent. God is everywhere present. And notice the contrast he makes. If he were to go up to heaven or down to Sheol, Lord, you're there. If he were to go to the east toward the rising of the sun or to the west to the remotest part of the sea, God would be there. If he imagined that darkness would hide him from God, that would not work either because darkness and light are alike to him. And what's the point he's making that there is no place in all of creation that we can ever hide from God because God is everywhere present, omnipresent God. Now, some might suggest that David's point in all this is that we better behave because God is everywhere. And there is a truth to that, isn't there? Jonah discovered that. He learned the hard way you can't run from God. 
He tried to take a ship to Tarshish, the very opposite direction that God was telling him to go. And he discovered that God was there. Sent the wind, sent the fish, sent the storm, sent the sailors into his life. You can't hide from God. I don't think that's what David has in mind here. Instead of presenting this as a warning, it seems as though David is presenting this as an encouragement. Verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed and shield, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. And your right hand will lay hold of me. He's not presenting this so much as a warning as an encouragement. H.C. Leopold, in his commentary on Psalms, says that the hand of God is exercising its kindly control over all our steps. He says that God's right hand is there to afford the support that I need every hour of the day. That is the psalmist's confession, he writes. The marvel of God's presence everywhere does not repel and frighten the writer. It is God's gracious presence that has impressed him. I love that phrase. God's gracious presence that has impressed him. So are you thankful for God's gracious presence? That no matter where you are, no matter what situation you're in, what is the promise? Even there your hand will lead me. And your right hand will lay hold of me. And that ought to be something we long for, right? God's gracious presence, His hand that leads us, His right hand that lays hold of us. And that's what David longed for, because as you look at the end of the psalm, what did he say? Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me, Lord, lead me in the everlasting way. So maybe that's the question, God, you want to lead me, am I willing to be led, Lord? Do I really want you to lead me? Do I really want you to guide me? Or do I want you to just rubber stamp what I want to do? Here's what I want, Lord. Stamping, huh? That's not how it works. Rather, I should say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what your will is for me. So show me, lead me, guide me. Place your hand upon me. Hem me in when I need to be hemmed in. Oh God, lead me. So God leads us because He knows us. God leads us because He is with us. And then as we think of Life Sunday, God leads us because He made us. I love these verses. Verse 13, For you formed my inward parts, literally my kidneys. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought to the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. This is one of the greatest passages in Scripture 
that speaks about the value of, of life, human life. And David tells us that God is actively involved in the conception and formation of life in the womb. He doesn't just watch it happen. It's not like God is, you know, somewhere out there and, and He's watching what's going on as, as a baby's being formed in the womb. He doesn't just watch it happen. He orchestrates it. Did you catch the words David used in verse 13? God formed our inward parts. God wove us in our mother's womb. Verse 15, he says that we were skillfully made. And his response to that is, is in verse 14, is, is praise. I will give thanks to you, God. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Some people might look at this verse and say, you know, I don't think this applies to me. I'm not uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. Just look at me. I was tempted to think that when I looked at the mirror this morning. Fearfully and wonderfully made? Maybe fearful, but <laughs> wonderfully made? And yet, that's what we are, right? That's what we are. God has made you just the way He wants you to be. Your appearance, your personality, your gifts and abilities are all the work of God. You've been woven together by the Master Designer to fulfill the purpose for which God has made you. You believe that? I do. I believe that God has made each one of us the way He wants us to be because He has a purpose for each one of us. Like a potter on the potter's wheel, fashioning each one of us in accordance with the purpose for which He made us. I remember doing a potter's wheel in elementary art class. It seemed kind of dangerous to me for that young, but... So my teacher said, what are you making? And I said, I don't know, but I'll tell you when I'm done. I had no idea what I was making. I was just moving my hands and hoping that something came out that I could say, yeah, that's what I was making. God doesn't do that. God didn't create you, Dick, and then say, now what am I going to do with him? No, he made you for a purpose. God fashioned us for the purpose for which he created us. So he's determined our gifts and abilities, and he has even ordained a certain number of days for us. Verse 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. I don't know if I'd like to read that book and find out how many days God has ordained for me. It's probably knowledge that we may not be able to handle real well. But God knows. So He has gifted us. He's created us in His image. And we have a certain number of days to fulfill that purpose for which God has made us. And we don't have to do it alone. Verse 17, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. Isn't that wonderful? So I guess the question comes down to this. 
If God wants to lead you, are you willing to be led? Are you willing to say, Lord, guide me, lead me? He made you. He had to know how to lead you. He knows you, everything about you. He knows what's best for you. And he even gave his son to die for you on the cross. And I believe that when you follow his leading, you will experience his blessing. Because his desire is to lead you in the everlasting way. That was David's prayer. Look at the end of the psalm. May this be our prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Father, lead us today. Guide us. Show us your will and purpose for our lives. Thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you, O God, that you loved us so much. You gave your Son to be our Savior. And so, Lord, work in us today. Draw us to yourself and give us that grace to say, Lord, lead me. Search me, know me, lead me, guide me. You've made me, Lord. You know what is best for me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.